words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. One of the things that I'm most grateful for, for my, for my time in youth ministry, particularly in the national role, is the concept of missional community, which I don't think you'll find in much of the literature. It was a concept that we made up. Uh, a group of young people and a couple of the diocesan youth staff and I, as we were thinking about themes for the national event that we ran every year. Missional community. What on earth is that? Well, the first part of it is that it's a community willing to discern the work of God in the world around us and to have the grace to join that work. Mission. It's not about us doing things for God that we often think mission is, but actually seeing mission being God's work in the world and us joining that work. And if you want a good example of that, that's how Pope Francis works. It's the Ignatian way. But there's a second facet to that, to this missional community, that lots of people can't get their heads around. And that is that when we as the community of faith live by a whole bunch of values, uh, and when we live out those values, the way we live for each other and the way we live for the people in our local community, at least, especially the least, that the kind of values come through in the way we operate and that those values then shout of God's presence in the world. And it seemed to me as I listened to and read this morning's readings, all three of them, that they were all about missional community and especially that second aspect about how we operate as a church. But I want to come to these readings today from a kind of different angle. I've recently, uh, over the last week or so, been listening to Business Secrets of Trappist Monks by August Turak. Augie is a wealthy entrepreneur and business consultant from the US who uh, was lucky enough to be in... Uh, the beginnings of cable TV and then in the beginnings of the internet and uh, has made a significant amount of money out of that. So why am I reading it? Well, I was kind of interested by the business secrets of the Trappist monks. He has spent a significant amount of time. He hasn't done things that you would normally expect from a wealthy entrepreneur. He spent a lot of time in his younger years studying Zen Buddhism and over more recent years, he has spent significant amounts of time at Metkin Abbey, which is a Benedictine abbey of the Cistercians of the Strict Observance. So there's the Benedictine order, and then they got reformed by the Cistercians. So they said we need to go back to our roots, to silence and poverty, and then they kind of got a bit lax, and then the Trappists came along and reformed the Cistercians and went back to the kind of poverty and silence and and those kind of roots. So it's a kind of reform of a reform of the Benedictine rule. And they're in Berkeley County in South Carolina. Now one of the things about the Cistercians are that generally around the world they are very successful in their business enterprises. And Augie was interested in why they were so successful 
given that business really wasn't what they were about. And so this book is a product of his reflecting on the Cistercian life and how that life affects their business practice. And then, because he's a business consultant, applying that to secular business. And my question is, how does any of this apply to the church? Because my hunch is it should, given it's all about Trappists. In the book, Augie makes the case that fundamentally every person wants to be transformed. He says, that's what all our movies are about, that's what most of our religions are about, it's at the heart of the human condition. That we are not satisfied with life as it is, we're not satisfied with who we are at the moment, and we seek something more. And his suggestion is that businesses can offer transformation through the principles of selflessness and service. It's an interesting concept for businesses, isn't it? Selflessness and service. He would suggest that that is at the heart of why Trappists are so successful in their business practice. Now, one of the chapters I've just listened to is about the importance of community, which seems a weird thing for a business writer to be talking about. And in fact, the case study that he uses is a company that he helped start up, which grew out of his Friday night Zen group. So one of the weird things he did after he studied Zen was um, he then finished his college degree and kind of got involved in business and then uh, kind of ended up in uh, South Carolina where um, he was asked to do a talk at uh, one of the big universities there about Zen Buddhism and it's, uh, well in the talk he talked about Zen Buddhism and, it, and how it's affected his business practice and a group of students came to him afterwards and said look we'd really like to know more about this, can we meet with you? And he said yep, okay, I'm happy to do that, we can meet weekly at this time. And then about a week later, he was offered a very high-paying job back in Washington. And he said, look, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I've just agreed to take this group of college students. So not normal business practice. Normally you'd go with the high-paying job. So but he stayed in South Carolina, and then eventually a group of adults said to him, look, we'd like to know the same. We'd like to meet weekly. So they meet on a Friday night. I think they still meet. And out of their kind of meeting and their growing sense of community, some of them said, we'd like to apply this to the business world. We would like to start a company. So they started a company. And they wanted to base it around the principles that they had been talking about in this group. A key feature of this was community. And some of the words that were going to describe that community were words like honesty and commitment and passion. Now, as I thought about that, it seemed to me that that was exactly what Paul in his letter to the Romans and Jesus addressing the early church through Matthew's Gospel are talking about. That kind of, commi- that kind of community based around some really fundamental values. Augie describes commitment as playing your role and pulling your weight. But compassion, he describes as a two-way thing. He says, yes, 
The community needs to be compassionate towards its members, but the members need to be compassionate towards the whole community. And he tells the story to kind of explain that. In this startup um, company, they basically sold things. That's what they did. And uh, one of the sales reps' fathers was dying and asked for some time off. And Augie agreed to that, and she had several months off, and eventually her father went into remission, and she was able to come back to work. But eventually her father got sick again, and this time it wasn't looking good, and she asked for some more time off, and this time he said, no, you can't have it. You either have to quit or, or stay with us. And people in the company were quite upset, and they came to see him about it and said, Augie, we're about community, we're about commitment to each other, and we're about compassion. How can you say no? And he said, because we only have four sales reps, and when she's not working, our income drops by a quarter. If she has more time off, there will not be a job to come back to. Yes, we have to have compassion to her, but she has to have compassion to us as well. The only way this can work is if the other three of you, the other three sales reps, pick up that 25%. So they went away and they had to talk about it. And in the end, the company, the people in the company worked out how they could pick up that 25%. She was given a time off, her father died, she was able to come back, and they survived. What they learned in all of that was compassion has a price, and it's a two-way thing. It's not just about us having compassion to the individual, it's the individual having compassion back to the whole community. In the end, they were able to resolve their differences and to find a way forward. And they were able to do that because they were committed to each other. And it happened because people were honest. They didn't just gossip and complain about the decision Augie had made. They went to see him and said, we don't like it. And he was then able to say why he had made that decision. And they could work out a way forward that lived out their principles but allowed the company to survive. Now, in the Paul, Paul's letter to Romans that we heard this morning, in the passage that we heard, Paul says that love is what undergirds our dealings with each other. And love, in the end, is what we could say undergirded their treatment of each other. It wasn't easy. It wasn't soft. They had to work out how to make it work. And at one point it looked like it involved some hard decisions. But love is what was at work there. Now sometimes we can read the passage we heard from Matthew as providing good processes. But I think Jesus wasn't interested in good processes. He was much more interested in the principles of love. If we really do love someone, then this is how we might operate. And out of that love we learn to treat each other well, selflessly. Serving each other with honesty, commitment and compassion. So the question for us in this place is, how does that describe us? Do we have those levels of honesty, 
commitment, compassion. If people looked at us, would they say, there is a community that operates on the principles of selflessness and service? I'm sure in many ways it does. But the question for us is, how do we need to grow more deeply so that we are shaped by this love? Another concept he talks about is aiming beyond the target. He suggests that often companies focus on the bottom lines, profit margins, their share of the market, even being the best provider of that service. And he says that that, those targets are actually what keep too many companies small. And to kind of help understand what he's talking about, he offers the example of Apple, which until the mid-1990s had become a very small player in the computer market, struggling to keep their share of the computer market, seeing themselves as providers of computers. And so they had a whole lot of computers that they offered. But they were struggling. And then Steve Jobs came back. Until then, uh, and he suggested that in fact Apple shouldn't be in the computer market. Apple should be in the transforming people's lives market. And offering the technology that would help in that transformation. And so the first thing he did was can most of their computers. He said, we will have these three, that's it. All the rest, gone. And then he said, so, what would help transform people's lives? Well, how about a little machine that you could store nearly your whole music library on? Instead of carting around your CD, portable CD player or portable tape player, which means you can only ever listen to one album at a time, that chewed through batteries and tapes and the sound quality wasn't great. How about a little machine where you can store all your music? And they created the iPod. And then he said, well, why should you buy a CD? Why not just buy your music from the internet? and download that music at a cheaper price onto your iPod. So he created iTunes. And then he said, well, how about a phone that allows you to listen to your music and access the internet, read your emails, do all your web stuff, and a whole lot of other things as well. And they created the iPhone. And then he said, well, that's a good concept, but how about we apply that to computers and create a little tablet that allows you to do just about everything that most people do on their computers. They don't need all that massive functionality. And create something that's really portable, that people can take around with them, and that the batteries last a lot longer than laptops. And they created the iPad. And then they said, he said, how about all of these things talking to each other? So that you don't have to kind of manually sync them, but they sync with each other automatically. And they created iCloud Computing. 
Now, all of those things have radically changed people's lives. We can argue about whether it's for the better or not, but my phone that I use is directly comes from iPhones and iPods and the little tablets, the cheap tablets that I own, are born out of the iPad. And the way that Laurie and I do the pew sheet is born out of iCloud computing. Apple is no longer a small computer company surviving off the crumbs of Microsoft's table. It is the major player in the technology market and it is worth the most than any company has ever been worth in history. It is an amazing transformation all in about 15 years. And it was done because Jobs aimed beyond the target. The target had been maintained this year in the computing market. He said, let's aim beyond that. Let's aim to transform people's lives. Now, how are we going to do that? Their previous targets, their previous aims got in the way. They blinded Apple to what was really important and it actually kept them small. But Jobs had a vision. And because he was willing to live out that vision, it transformed Apple and it's transformed the world. Now as I thought about that story, I thought about Paul. For lots of people, they see Paul arguing between love and law. And I think what Paul was arguing was, actually, law is too small a target. If we think that obeying the law is going to help our life with God, then we've missed the point. The target's too small. The target should be love. That is what we should be aiming for. And when we love, then we'll obey the law. But not because we're trying to obey the law, but because we love. Change your target. Obeying the law is too small. It limits us. So what are our targets? What is it that we hope for in this parish? What are our dreams for this parish? And how do they stop us being who we might be? My hope for us is that we will be a missional community. A community willing to discern the work of God in the world and to have the grace to join that work. And a community that by the values in which we stand and how they are lived out, the way we live for each other, the way we live for the people of our local community, especially the least, the way we live selflessly with an attitude of service, honesty, compassion and commitment, we shout with God's presence in the world. Sure, large attendances at our church services would be great. And having a vibrant youth group and Sunday schools would look awesome on my CV. And having a healthy budget would mean that Paula and the vestry and I would sleep better at night. My first version of that said would mean Paula and I sleep better at night, but I thought that didn't sound very good. So I thought I'd better insert the vestry in the middle of that just to make it sound more kosher, we might say. But if we just focus on those things, 
it will keep us small. We need to aim past them. As Paul aimed past the law, and as Steve Jobs aimed past being a computer company. If we do aim past them, with luck some of them might happen, maybe all of them. But in the end, they're not the point. Today's readings offer us a glimpse of what it means to be the people of God in this place. I pray that we have the courage to embrace that vision so that we can continue to become the community of faith that shouts of God's presence with who we are and everything that we do. So what is it that you think we should be aiming for? Let's just spend a moment thinking about that.